Today, um, you're in luck. I brought with me a sacred Christian artifact, uh, something that if you keep near to your body is guaranteed to make you automatically holier and more able to resist temptation. Behold the WWJD bracelet. How many of you remember this bracelet, right? I knew kids all through the 90s. They didn't go to church. They were sleeping around, but they had a WWJD bracelet. So they felt pretty good about themselves. It asks the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? That's a question you might ask occasionally if you're facing a challenge or a conundrum. What would Jesus do in this situation? The reason I think the WWJD bracelet was so popular is it asked a hypothetical question. If Jesus were here, what would he do? The thing about a hypothetical is that it's also debatable. And when it's debatable, my responsibility is also deniable because I can argue with you about what Jesus would do. And, and maybe if I'm struggling with some guilt or whatnot, you know, I can always just kind of, you know, push it off to the side and infuse my opinions about what Jesus might in fact do. And I'll be honest with you. That's why I think that bracelet and that saying was so popular. It was hypothetical, it was debatable, and it made responsibility deniable. So you know what I'm a lot more interested in than a hypothetical conversation? is a historical conversation. I don't want to know what Jesus would do. I want to know what Jesus did do. So I'm going to ask this question today. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? We asked last week, who is Jesus? This week, what did Jesus do? We know a lot about him. And I think the key to understanding him and what he did is John chapter 1, 14. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and full of truth. We are not able to do that, right? Like, I as a human being have to try to be gracious and truthful, but I'm a human, I'm a man, I'm imperfect. I can't be po perfectly truthful and gracious at the same time. So if I lean a little too far towards truth sometimes, I can accidentally become a jerk. You know, just telling people the truth. No, that dress doesn't look good on you. No, I don't like your haircut, right? And then if I lean a little too far towards grace, the truth is I can become a pushover and just let anything fly. Jesus never had that problem. He was able to be perfectly full of grace and truth all the time. He didn't have to find a balance like us because he was the son of God. And so here's what I want you to understand. This framework for understanding everything Jesus did is that Jesus told the truth and that Jesus gave grace. First, Jesus told the truth. Jesus always told the truth. Um, we live in this world today where political correctness is the new God of America. And it's not really okay to just tell people the truth and risk offending them. In fact, we have to act like everything is okay and that truth is subjective. But that's a problem because by definition, Truth is truth. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's just the truth and falsehood, right? Jesus always told the truth. He tells it like it is. John 14, verse 6. I'm going to read several passages out of the Gospel of John. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. When you are the truth, you tell the truth, right? John 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Why did Jesus tell the truth? He didn't do it just to beat people up or, or get a jab in on them. He told the truth to set them free. Sometimes you'll encounter truth tellers who honestly get a little bit of sick joy out of beating people up with the truth. You know, like, oh, here it comes. I'm going to give you the truth. And really, they just want to give it to you, right? Jesus only told the truth because he wanted to help set people free. And the truth is what sets people free. If you're uncomfortable telling people the truth, maybe you're that person that oftentimes you feel like, man, I, I want to say something. I know I should say something, but I don't want to make things awkward. I don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable. You need to remember that telling the truth sets people free. Do you believe that? When you set people free through the truth, you're helping them. And so a temporary moment of discomfort is worth being set free from bondage and from lies. Sometimes people need the truth. And honestly, one of the things you'll learn as you observe Jesus and learn about what he did, sometimes people need an answer to a question they're not asking. Do you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes people will bring up an objection or they'll ask a question and you're able to look through that question and see past it into their heart where the true issue lies. That was a common thing Jesus did. So keep that in mind when people bring up objections or, or conversations. Sometimes they're really asking a different question. Jesus told the truth. He confronted religious leaders. So these guys in the New Testament, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were religious leaders in the Jewish faith. And they were religious, they worshipped the God of the Old Testament, but they didn't recognize the Son of God who was sent by the Father to save them as the Messiah. And so they were religious, but they were hard-hearted. They loved God, but they didn't recognize his Son. They were hard-hearted. And what we'll see with Jesus is that he was the least patient with hard-hearted religious people. That's a philosophy that I've just tried to adapt for my own life, right? Like, if you're a hard-hearted religious pe a person, you'll find Jesus is tough on you. He was tough towards the hard-hearted. And he wanted to, I believe, break through their hard-heartedness so that they could finally see the truth. We see an example in chapter 9, verse 39. Jesus told him, I entered the world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who are standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. And so these guys thought they were religious. They thought they knew God, but they were spiritually blind because they didn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Anyone who does not recognize Jesus as God's Son is spiritually blind. And we have modern-day Pharisees who enter churches who you'll encounter in the world today. They love the wrong things, okay? They love tradition more than people. So they love, they love things. They just love the wrong things. They love religion more than God. And Jesus was harsh towards these people. I mean, he told the truth. If you don't think it's okay to call names, you haven't read the Bible. Because Jesus called these guys names. He said, you're a bunch of snakes. He called them a fancy tomb. He said, you're, you're washed white and pretty on the outside, but you smell like death on the inside. This is Jesus, right? He told the truth. He cracked whips in the temple and chased money changers out, guys who were trying to monetize God's grace. I mean, think about this. The Son of God, we always see him in movies and in paintings, and he looks all peaceful and, and kind of weak and timid. He's like, blessed are the weak. Right? That's the picture of Jesus you probably got growing up. Here's the real Jesus. I'm putting a whip together right now because I'm about to beat some people crazy. 
He's flipping over tables in the temple. The temple. People are like, Jesus has a temper problem. No, he was just zealous for God's house, and he loved the truth. He did not want to see people taken advantage of. And so it tells me as a pastor, it's okay to kick people out of church sometimes. I'm just going to throw that in there. John 15, 22, Jesus said this, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin because he brought the truth. John 12, 48, but all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. So Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world, but he said there will come a day when people will be judged according to the truth that he, he spoke. He brought the truth, and we're responsible to tell people the truth. Why? Not because we want to beat them up, thumping the Bible, telling them how sinful they are. No, we want to set them free from sin and prevent them from facing judgment for sin, because that day is coming. We want everyone to experience life through Jesus. That's called speaking the truth in love. That's where that phrase comes from. We love you. Our motivation for telling the truth is, is love. Here's the next thing. Jesus gave grace. He gave grace. John chapter 1, verse 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. God already was giving grace to people in many ways. He gave the sun. He gave the rain. He gave us food to eat. He gave his word uh, through prophets like Moses and Elijah, right? But then Jesus comes and brings grace upon grace. He brings fullness to life. You've probably heard the word grace in church before, um, words like mercy and grace. I want you to understand the difference if you haven't before. Uh, mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? Grace is getting what Jesus deserves. That's the difference. Mercy is withholding the punishment we deserve. Grace is giving us blessing that we don't deserve. And that's what we experience through Jesus, complete and total grace. And Jesus was gracious towards people. He was tough towards those who were hard-hearted, but he was tender to those who were broken-hearted. And you'll see this throughout the New Testament as you read this. He encountered a woman in John chapter 4 at a well who had been sleeping around with multiple people. The man she was with now wasn't her husband. And Jesus read her mail, essentially, and said, what was up? And she was like, I think you're a prophet. And he was like, you're right. I'm not just a prophet, though. I'm the son of God. And he was very kind to her. He didn't condemn her, but he spoke the truth to her, and he was loving at the same time. She then went from there, found people from her village, and brought many, many people to come to know Jesus. He gave grace. In Mark chapter 2, he was eating dinner with a bunch of sinners. I want to I ask you this question. If you walked into the club this next upcoming week, and of course you wouldn't do that because you're too holy for that, but... Let's just say you went to the club, you went to your, your favorite bar that you used to go to, and you saw Jesus there with a pitcher of beer, drinking with his friends who were all kinds of rough-looking, messed up, foul mouth, and Jesus is just smiling and talking to him. I mean, would that throw you off? Like, let's just be honest. Would that throw you off? Like, Jesus, you, bro, come on, man. You shouldn't be here. <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't belong in this. But if people saw you, this could be bad. Like someone could tweet this, and then it would be bad for your image. We got to get you out of here. Like the same thing happened back in the day. Jesus was hanging out with the roughest of the rough crowd, and the religious people criticized him for it. But he said, hey, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to be with the people who are sick who need me. In John chapter 8, he encountered a woman who was caught in adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. 
That is embarrassing, right? She was drugged before Jesus. Religious guys picked up stones. They were going to give it to her. They were going to kill her, kill her according to the Old Testament law, require that she was stoned. Jesus bends down in the, in the dirt, starts writing something with his finger. We don't even know what it, what it was uh, to this day. We're just kind of skepti- skeptical about what it, what it would have been. We can hypothesize about it, but we don't really know. But what we do know is that all the religious guys saw something that caused them to drop their stones and walk away. And Jesus went to this woman and said, where are your accusers? I'm not here to condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. He was tender. He was tender towards those who were broken and hurting. So you need to know, if you're brokenhearted and hurting, Jesus is tender towards you. He is gracious towards you. If you're hard-hearted and stubborn, Jesus might just smack you upside the head, okay? But it's because he loves you. Now, I want to say this. I love in Matthew chapter 11, 29, verse 30, this message for Christians. And I think this is a strong message for us. Those of us who might have grown up in church, maybe you've been around a lot of people who were Christians or religious. Here's an important passage where Jesus is speaking, and I want to read this from the message translation. He asks this, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the kind of life that Jesus gives us. This life that is light and free. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, it's not something that has to be forced. It's a journey where we walk with him, we work with him, we watch how he does it. We take steps, little by little, day by day. It's not forced, but it's just this life of grace that as we follow Jesus, we discover is the full life that we've always been longing for. So truth and grace come through Jesus. Not what would he do, what did he do? And I want to give you some examples of the things that he did in his life because this really shows us how we should live our lives. First, Jesus walked in humility. Jesus was humble. We all wrestle with pride, don't we? Okay, right now you're like wrestling with pride. You're like, I don't want to admit that I wrestle with pride. I can, I can feel it. I can feel it. And our sinful nature always pulls us back towards pridefulness. Even when we think we've made some progress, we'll find ourselves wrestling with pride. Like, nobody recognizes how great I am right now? Really? Like, what do I got to do in here to get some recognition? We all have this desire inherently for power, for recognition, for superiority over others. And if people don't recognize that, then we want to make sure that they know we're superior over them because we're just naturally prideful. You were born into a sinful world. It's just the way that it is. And so we learn from Jesus' example as he walked in humility. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's what humility does. Jesus, who was the Son of God in heaven, reigning over all creation, gave up his divine privilege and entered the world in human form, not just as a human, but as 
a human who came to the lowest of society, was not wealthy, didn't have money, uh, and in fact, he died a criminal's death, accused for things that he didn't do. Why did he do this? Because he loved us. He humbled himself, and that's what humility does. Humility says, I'm going to go last so that you can go first. Humility says, you go on ahead, and, and I'll take what's left over. Humility recognizes I haven't accomplished anything good on my own. And that's just the truth. Even the self-made man had someone to help him somewhere along the way. Like someone changed your diapers so you could get to the point that you're at today. Do you believe that? Come on, say amen. amen. You know, you're thankful. When you humble yourself, here's the thing you have to understand, church. When you humble yourself, God exalts you. When you allow yourself to become prideful, the Bible tells us that God will bring you down a notch. And the truth is that people do it too, don't they? Isn't it true that when you walk around prideful, people love to take you down a peg? But when you're humble, people encourage you. It's true. Like we see it all the time in society. When someone makes a mistake, if they don't acknowledge it, people are merciless, aren't they? Like, you did wrong, and they'll come after you, and they do not relent. But when you humble yourself and you take responsibility, you're like, guys, I blew it. It's my fault. I'm taking responsibility. I'm sorry. Our society, even non-Christians, they're like, it's not so bad, buddy. You'll be all right. Next time, you can do, nobody's perfect. Listen, pride leads to demotion. Humility leads to promotion. We want to humble ourselves and be like Jesus. That's what he did. Here's the truth. We want to bring truth and grace. Truth. People will not always recognize the greatness inside of you. But grace tells us God always sees the greatness in you because he's the one who made you that way. Truth says you are more prideful than you think you are. But grace says Jesus was perfectly humble in your place. Jesus humbled himself and walked in humility. Here's the next thing. Jesus served others, okay? And serving others is not supposed to just be an event on the calendar that we do once in a while, something that we just kind of check off the block. It's not just going to an event to serve. It's not even just serving on Sunday in a team. It's a lifestyle of serving other people, morning and evening, day in, day out, serving others. John 13 verse 4 says this about Jesus. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Think about this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was washing people's feet. This is crazy. I mean, he gets down on the ground with water and a towel, and he starts scrubbing the gunk out from between his disciples' toes. You know that teenage boys barely keep themselves clean as it is, right? But imagine 2,000 years ago walking around in sandals, dirt, manure, everything everywhere. This was the lowest job that anyone in the household would have had, the servant that washed people's feet before a meal. They had to wash their feet before a meal because nobody wants to smell that when you're laying around Mediterranean style on pillows eating food, right? You don't want to see your neighbor's stanky feet. So Jesus like, I'll wash the feet. Jesus gets out of towel. And we even read in that passage, Peter, the disciple, he was like, what are you doing? He was flipping out and losing his mind. But we understand this was just who he was. Matthew 20, 28, for even the son of man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is crazy. Like most of us, we wouldn't do this. 
Once we got this position of, of power and influence, we would expect to be served, wouldn't we? That's just human nature, amen? I mean, like, come on, don't leave me hanging up here acting like I'm the only one. Jesus, though, said, I'm not going to wait to be served. I'm going to serve others. And listen, church, when you serve other people, you demonstrate the love of God to them through your actions. So service is a lifestyle. Truth and grace, truth. You will serve people who don't appreciate it. Grace, serve them anyways. Amen? Truth, if you're not serving, you're not Christ-like. But grace says that Jesus served relentlessly on our behalf. That's what grace says. So it's not really up to us to be perfect. Serve others the way that Jesus did. Here's the next thing. Jesus sacrificed voluntarily. He sacrificed. The foundation of Christianity is sacrificial giving. That's what it is. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why? So that Jesus could die so that we could live. It was a sacrifice. And so as we follow in Jesus' footsteps, you'll find that Christians give sacrificially. They give their time. They give their money. And they don't just give, they give sacrificially. We give our lives and we give everything that we are for God because that's what Jesus did. He gave everything for us. Sacrifice is defined this way in the dictionary. An act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. So when you sacrifice, you're saying, I know this is something that is important to me, it's, it's precious to me, it's valued, but what I'm doing is I'm giving it up for something or someone else who's even more important. It's worth the sacrifice. We have to obviously learn to walk in humility in order to be able to sacrifice because you have to be able to develop the, the, the ability to think of other people as more important, uh, as if they're more worthy than you. That is a good thing. And you can't learn to sacrifice until you humble yourself. But this is an important part of Christianity. And listen, I'm really proud of our church when it comes to, to sacrifice. So many people in our church family sacrifice so much for the cause of Jesus Christ. People give sacrificially. People serve every weekend, multiple services sometimes. They're not doing that because they have nothing better to do. They're sacrificing because they love God and they love people. That's why there's people who are moving from the morning services to the PM services that, uh, that we're having tonight. They didn't do it because they have nothing better to do in the PM. They did it because they wanted to make room in the AM services in Mesa for people who are far from God. That's why the Awatuki campus, people are giving sacrificially above and beyond their regular ties. It's not they have so much money just burning a hole in their pocket. They've got to get rid of it. They're doing it to sacrifice for people who need Jesus. Christians, sacrifice. That's what we do. Luke 21, verse 1, talks about this, this funny moment. It's a moment that I, I really think is hilarious as a pastor. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Okay, this is funny to me because people sometimes say that we shouldn't talk about money in church, but Jesus actually was sitting around in the temple just watching people give their offering. Like, I mean, that... That's hilarious, right? Like, it'd be like if I walked around with the offering buckets on Sunday, like, what are you, gonna, what are you giving this week? What, hey, she did really good, you guys. Like, this guy, not so much. Let's pray for him, right? That's hilarious to me. But the truth is this. You can be a giver without being a sacrificial giver. Have you ever thought about that? 
Like for my wife and I, we don't consider tithing a sacrifice. Maybe it feels that way when you first get started because you're not used to it, but it's not that hard to put God first in my budget and keep him there. And, just, and you just get used to it. And then you realize like when you're tithing and you put God first, he blesses you so much that not tithing would actually be a worse move. Like I'm not sacrificing when I tithe. That'd be like not paying my electric bill. You could choose not to do it, but the quality of life is not something that I want to experience. I like the blessings that come with tithing. Sacrifice is going above and beyond. It's doing something you don't have to do. Here's the way you know you're sacrificing if it hurts a little bit. It's probably not a sacrifice if it doesn't hurt a little bit. We should keep giving. We should keep serving until it hurts. That's what Christianity does and looks like because that's what Jesus did. That's the things he did. John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus talks about the sacrifice where he gave his, he's going to give his life. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. I love this verse for one reason, because sometimes in movies and stuff, people depict Jesus as being this kind of weak, helpless, soft-spoken religious guy. But right here, Jesus is saying, nobody's taking my life from me. Right? I'm not getting beat up by the mean Roman soldiers. I'm not getting arrested by the Jews. Yeah, they're the ones that are going to drive the nails through my hands, but I'm laying my life down voluntarily. I'm giving my life when I want to, and I'm going to take it back when I want to. That's pretty awesome, right? Like, Jesus makes all our superheroes look really weak by comparison. It's like, I'm going to die for these people, and then I'm going to rise again. That's just what he does, and he was willing to sacrifice his life voluntarily because he loves us. Isn't that great? If you don't feel like anyone loves you, just keep remembering, remind yourself, what did Jesus do for me? He voluntarily was willing to die for me. That's how much he loves me. So truth, truth, Jesus calls you to give up everything for him. Grace says that he will give you back far more than you'll ever give him. Truth says this, will never sacrifice as much as Jesus. But grace says this, because of his sacrifice, we don't have to. Here's the next thing. Uh, Jesus helped people. He helped people. Um, he didn't just sit around having theological debates, but he actually helped people in tangible ways where they were at. He healed a blind man. Let's be honest. If you're blind and Jesus is walking by, you don't want to hear another sermon. You want to be healed, right? He healed a, a lame man who couldn't walk. He calmed storms like the disciples were in a boat. Boat's about to drown. Jesus, he met their tangible needs. He calmed the storm. One time he was preaching to a big crowd, and they were hungry. They had no food. Jesus multiplied fishes and loaves, passed it out, fed 5,000 people, and then some. And then you know someone left a bad review on Yelp because he didn't include dessert. That's just how people are. But Jesus knew men are not going to pay attention to any sermon on an empty stomach. Amen. Amen. All right. So he fed people. He met their actual physical needs. And we as Christians, we need to meet people's tangible needs. That's why Jesus says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. The New Testament emphasizes taking care of the poor, feeding the hungry, caring for orphans and widows. We need to follow in Jesus' footsteps. But then we also need to learn some important lessons through the words Jesus spoke. Yes, he fed people by multiplying 
fishes and loaves. But then in John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So like I, I like to say this, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Give a man Jesus and he'll never need another fish. Right? Jesus was telling us something very important, that it's good to meet people's physical, tangible needs, but everyone has a more important need that they need to be helped with. That's a spiritual need. You can feed a man today, but he'll hunger again. Jesus said, if you give someone me, they'll always be satisfied. I can heal someone's broken ankle, but that person will still eventually die. But if Jesus heals their soul, they will live forever. So we have to keep this in mind because there are some Christians who get caught up trying to fix all the problems of the world. And, and that comes from a good place in their heart. But they got to remember what Jesus actually said. John 12, verse 8, you will always have the poor among you. So if you're like laying at, uh, uh, at night awake, can't fall asleep, so worried about poor people, um, hungry people. Listen, your heart is right. But Jesus always said, this is a thing that's going to be until I return and set all things right. There will always be poor people. And that puts things in perspective for us. We shouldn't get so caught up chasing meeting people's tangible needs that we forget the more important need that they actually have, a spiritual need. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here we go. Truth, you cannot end world hunger. Grace, you can end someone's hunger. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. That's just an important kind of thing. puts it in perspective for us. But truth, if we don't care about people's needs, their physical and spiritual needs, we don't care about what Jesus cared about. But grace tells us that there's a day coming when Jesus is going to end all suffering, all hunger, all sickness, and sin will be a thing of the past. So we have that hope to look forward to. Jesus helped people. We should help people. Here's the next thing. Jesus trained disciples. He spent time preaching to crowds, but he also spent a lot of time training just a dozen guys. And so we have to understand the difference between helping and training. Helping is a good thing. Training is probably more important. Helping is like giving someone Tylenol. Training is like raising up doctors. There's a bigger return on time invested. Matthew 4, uh, verse 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, immediately they left their nets and followed him. He just called these guys who were fishing out on the Sea of Galilee, come follow me, I'm going to train you, you're going to start this church, uh, it's going to change the world. And this is an example for us, Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So he trained people until he left the earth, all the way up. Even after his resurrection, he rose again, and then he was appearing and teaching people all over the Middle East. And we don't even know where he went, but he was training until the very day he left this planet, which tells me we don't get to retire from making disciples. You might have retired from your company and started pulling a pension, but you don't get to retire in the kingdom of God. Training disciples, making disciples, teaching people about Jesus and how to follow him is a lifelong 
calling. Like he says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. We're supposed to walk with him, work with him, and do what he did. So I want to walk and work with people and help them do what Jesus did. Now here's a little bit of practical advice. Jesus trained about 12 disciples, and he even spent the most time with just three guys, Peter, James, and John. They were clearly his favorites. Sorry, Thomas. Sorry, right? Like he had three favorite guys. Tells me this, if Jesus limited his time to 12 dudes, I can probably realistically only help two or three people at a time. In fact, if you're even helping one, if you're training one person to become a follower of Jesus, you're doing a good job. I want to ask you this, who is following you? Who are you training? Who are you helping to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is a lifelong calling, and it's something that we're all supposed to do. Jesus' example, his example was that he showed these guys what to do. He was patient with them. He explained things to them on their level. I love the story in Mark 4 where he gives this parable of the sower, and the disciples were like, bravo, great job. Everybody leaves. And like, so Jesus, what did you mean by all that? And he said to them, you know, he said this all the time, you still don't understand? <laughs> Okay, let me explain it to you. He was patient. That's making disciples. And that's something we're all supposed to do. So truth, I want you to understand this about making disciples. You will invest time in people who will abandon you. But grace tells us that people also abandon Jesus. Out of his 12 disciples, one of them didn't even stick with him. So if Jesus didn't have a perfect track record of making disciples, you should expect that you're going to invest some time in people and it's not going to work out that well. That's just grace, right? Truth, you've still got room to grow as a disciple. You're not perfect, of course. I know you, I know, you know that, but in case you've been tempted to become stagnant in your walk with God, I want to remind you today, you've still got room to grow. But grace tells us this. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. So if you don't give up on God, he won't give up on you. Just keep going. He's going to see you through. Here's the next thing I, I want to highlight. Jesus talked with God. It was a regular part of his routine. He would talk with God. And we see Mark chapter 1, verse 35, gives us a little insight into Jesus' routine. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. And if it was important for Jesus to pray, it's probably important for us to pray, right? I mean, I, I would suspect if it was just me guessing, Jesus, you don't need to pray. You are God. What are you doing, talking to yourself out there? But he was someone who valued spending time in relationship with the Father. The disciples who were following Jesus, they noticed his lifestyle and his routine. And so they asked him, teach us to pray. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Matthew 6, 9, Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've probably heard this prayer before. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And maybe because you've heard it in churches, it seems like a religious thing to you. But at the time, this was revolutionary. This was a game changer because nobody prayed like this up until this point. Jesus modeled something for his disciples, talking to God, the God of the universe, like he's your father. This would be the modern day equivalent of us being like, hey, dad. I'd like to talk with you, <laughs> you know? And they were sitting like, you just, you just talk to God like you're in a relationship with him? Jesus, yeah, he's your father in heaven. So he, he just wants to hear any old thing we have to say? Jesus, yeah, he, he cares about everything you have to say. <laughs> he loves to talk with you. 
And I want you to understand today as a, as a follower of Jesus, your life will get better the more you pray. Pastor Ryan, give me some practical help today. Pray more. And it's not that things go wrong in your life because you don't pray. But when you pray and you have a relationship with God, you'll find that you get more in sync with God. And the more in sync with God you get, the more you just start to see things his way. The more you start to do things the way that he does them, the further you get from sin, the closer you get to him. And so life just gets better. I want to encourage you to pray more. And it's just like with me and my wife and our relationship. The more that we talk, the more we spend time together talking, the closer we get. The more in sync we get, the more I understand her. The more I understand her, the more that she appreciates me. And the more that she appreciates me, well, everything just goes better. Right? I want to encourage you to pray. Pray. Here's the truth. I, I just got to tell the truth. Truth. You don't pray enough. Grace says that God isn't keeping track. Isn't that good to know? Like, if you love someone, I, I, I don't go home and talk to my wife at the end of the day and have her respond to me with, well, you're 15 minutes short for this week's conversation quota. <laughs> we just have a relationship, and she just talks with me. And when we talk, we enjoy it. Truth, God loves when you talk to him. But grace says this, God loves you even when you don't talk to him. So just learn to enjoy talking with him. Don't make it another task on a spiritual checklist. Just talk to him like he's your friend because he is. And just understand that the more I talk to him, the better my life's going to get. The more I'm going to feel peace, the more I'm going to have direction for what I should do, the more he's going to help me to deal with problems. And it's just going to be so good. I just wanted to encourage you. Talk with God because Jesus talked with God. Here's the last thing. Jesus glorified the Father. He glorified the Father. And to glorify is to honor, it's to praise, it's to deflect the recognition and, and praise back to him. Um, and this is what Jesus did in John 17. After saying all of these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. This is the ultimate reason for everything that Jesus did to glorify the Father. So, because that's what he did, that's what we should do. Everything we should do is to glorify God. And Jesus glorified God by obeying his directive to go to the cross. That's what he was talking about. I'm going to go to the cross, Father. I want you to glorify your son by raising me back up from the grave so that I can glorify you and show everyone how awesome you are. And that's how we should live our lives. God, help me to be more like Jesus so that I can glorify your name, so that people will see you through me. I want to lift you up. That's why we do everything. That's why we worship him. That's why we come to church. That's why we help meet people's needs. That's why we serve. That's why we give. That's why we obey his commands, because we want to glorify God. What are his commands? To love God and to love people, to make disciples. Those are his commands. And I want you to understand this about obedience to his commands. John 14, 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So what did Jesus do? He obeyed God because he loved the Father. What do Christians do? We obey the commands of Jesus because we love Jesus, right? That's what we do. It's not a guilt trip that he is sending us on. He's just saying, the people that love me, they're the ones that are obeying my commands. And so here's truth. If we love God, we obey him. It's just a simple fact. Grace says, 
God loves us even when we fail to obey him. This is grace. Truth says this, there's no excuse for disobedience. Whatever excuse you had, it's not a good excuse. Grace says this, we get credit for Jesus's perfect obedience. Right, so even when we fail to do what's right, God looks at us and sees the perfect track record of Jesus. We get credit for that. I wanted you to understand what Jesus did. He came to establish his kingdom on earth. That's why in uh, Mar- or Matthew chapter 4, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. Everything that Jesus did on this earth was a foreshadowing. It was a taste of the kingdom of God coming to earth. When he healed people, it was a taste of the fact that in heaven, people will not get sick. When he met people's needs, like hunger, right? It was a foreshadowing of the fact that in the kingdom of God, all of our needs will be met. When he forgave sin, it was a preview that in the kingdom of God, we won't wrestle with sin anymore. When he had relationship with disciples, it was a taste of the fact that we'll all have a relationship with God in the kingdom. And so when we look at what Jesus did and we do what he did, we're following his footsteps. We're advancing his kingdom on earth. We're literally bringing heaven to earth. Like he said, pray like this, your kingdom come your will be done. How do we make his kingdom come? By doing what he did. It brings the kingdom to earth and advances it forward. That's why we do what he did. Jesus, most important thing he did was die for us and rise again, right? He did that because he loved us. He did it because he was bringing truth and grace. And that's our call as a church, to be people of truth and grace. That's what we're doing here. And that's what God calls us to, truth and grace. That's the kind of church we want to have. The church that Jesus would like to go to. That's my goal as a pastor. I have some pastor friends, and they're talking about what kind of church they want to have, and they said, I want to have the kind of church that sinners would like to go to. And I think their heart's in the right place when they say that, right? But then I have to step back and think about that. Wait a second. There's a lot of things that sinners would like that might not be good for them. If we give out free beer every Sunday, sinners would like that but they probably need something else more. So we want to give them truth and grace. We want to be the kind of church that Jesus would want to go to, the kind of church where truth is spoken, but sinners come and are not condemned. Right? So we always want to tell the truth but give grace. We want to be the place where people reject legalism and walk in freedom. Amen? We want to be the kind of church where we don't just tell people God loves them, we show them God loves them. That's truth and grace. Where Christians reject stagnation and they keep growing towards multiplication. They want to get bigger. They want to grow. They want to reach more people. They want to make more disciples so the kingdom of God can advance. We want to be the kind of people that follow Jesus freely and lightly, enjoying the unforced rhythms of grace. Where he says, hey, this isn't a burden I'm putting on you. Just walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. And I'm going to lead you into life abundantly, full life, satisfaction, contentment, and joy. That's what we do. We follow Jesus and we experience all the good things that he has for us. That's what we're, on. That's what we're doing. That's what we're all about. That's the journey that we're on. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Lord, we thank you for your example that we can follow. Uh, Lord, help us to take steps today to become more like you. We want to look at what you did 
and we want to follow your example. Maybe there's some people in this room today that would say, hey, there are some things that I just learned about Jesus that highlight for me some steps I need to take. I, I, I want to be more like him. And so if that's you today and God is showing you that, man, that is because he loves you and it's a good thing. He's helping you to grow. You can take that next step and the Lord will help you to do it and he's going to love you every step of the way, even when you fail and when you succeed. So keep moving forward. Maybe you're here right now and you'd say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I'm hearing you say that he loves me, that he died for me, and that he rose again. I want to have a relationship with him. So wherever you're at, uh, whatever campus you're on right now, maybe you're watching online, I want to just lead you in a prayer. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Pray this prayer with me right now. Just say, God, I need you. I recognize that I have sinned and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again. I give you my life. I trust you. I want to follow you from this day forward. Help me to be like you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet in both campuses. God is so good, and we are going to take a moment to worship him. And I want to take a moment to celebrate. If you just prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus, I want you just to shoot your hand up on the count of three just so we can celebrate with you. One, God loves you. Two, don't be embarrassed. Three, just throw your hand up if you just accepted him. That's great. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Awesome. Come on, we're going to give God some worship right now. We're going to sing out praise because he has saved us. If you believe it, just begin to give him praise right now. Come on.